So if you haven't opened your Bibles, uh, please do so to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, We're going to be in verses 35 through 49, as Steph read for us. And several weeks ago, I mentioned one of my favorite reality TV shows, The Amazing Race. Great show. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. But another show of kind of the similar generation of reality TV that is also uh, an excellent show is Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And I'm sure many of you have seen this show, and if you haven't, the premise is beautiful, that there is a a family that is in some sort of need, that that they're either facing a hardship or they uh, have been facing hardships in the past, and a team of designers and construction workers come and rebuild their house in order to fit their particular needs. And the payoff of every show is that moment where they bring the family back and they're kind of behind the bus and the bus is blocking out their new home and everyone's like, bus driver, move that bus. And it pulls away and the family sees their new home and there's tears and there's joy and there's surprise. It's a a beautiful moment. Did you know that that show is actually a spinoff of another show called Just Extreme Makeover? And in that show... The premise was an average man or woman would, through plastic surgery or a diet and exercise regimen, through wardrobe and makeup, be transformed essentially into a new person. And the whole time they were going through their transformation, their family wouldn't see them, and then they would come back and there'd be the big reveal and the family would be like, oh my goodness, you look so great, amazing, and there'd be tears and surprise and joy and that. What both of those shows reveal to us, why they're so popular, we love a good resurrection story. Like, we love the idea that something broken, wrecked, ruined, maybe ugly, scarred, could be transformed and renewed and made into something new and beautiful. And we watch those shows because we love resurrection stories, and we also love to live vicariously through other people Because in some ways it gives us hope for our own story, for our own resurrection. There's this sense of, hey, if it could happen to them, maybe for me change could happen. Maybe there could be transformation for me and my life circumstances. And so I wonder, if you were to be honest this morning, if we were to poll you, and we were to say, hey, if you could go on one of those shows, what would you hope to transform? What what do you hope would happen if you could have an extreme makeover? Whether it's your house or whether it's your physical body, or whether it's some other aspect of your life. Or or maybe to ask the question this way, in what ways are you maybe pursuing a makeover? Pursuing change and transformation? Maybe you're on a exercise and diet regimen. Maybe you are trying to develop some better habits and kick some other bad habits. Maybe it's a new job or a new relationship. Something new, something different that you're hoping will transform the brokenness and the ugly and the things that you are not content with in your life. We're all after something. We're all after this kind of change. It's not unusual. It's the very reason we love resurrection stories. But maybe, just maybe, you've given up on the hope of change. Maybe if you were honest this morning, you would say, you know what, my situation has gotten so bad, so desperate that you know what, I tried all the behavior modifications, I tried the diet and the exercise, I tried all the transformation things, and you know what, it just didn't work, it didn't take. And so I've kind of given up on the idea of hope and resurrection and transformation. I'm just sort of living out my life, kind of biding my time until one day that I will die. 
wherever you are this morning, God's word has something to say to you. When we talk about resurrection, we're not just talking about something that is this abstract, philosophical, or theological idea. We are talking about a reality that transforms all things. And what you believe about resurrection and what you believe is possible greatly affects how you live your life and what you put your hope in. So as a church, we have been in the book of 1 Corinthians for well over a year, and here we are coming to the uh, second to last chapter, and if you've been with us, you know this about the church in Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul was writing in the first century to a church in the city of Corinth, and these Corinthian Christians probably would make it on the short list of messiest churches in history. I mean, you name the sin, you name the problem, you name the division, and they fell into it. Prideful, self-centered, clicky, loving glory and self-regard and status and success more than loving other people. They saw spiritual gifts as a way to gain status in the church rather than love people and serve people. And here when we come to chapter 15, we see probably the worst problem of all, a distorted view of the resurrection. They had distorted views of the body and sexuality and marriage and gender. I mean, they, they had all kinds of problems, but the worst of them all was the view of the resurrection that they had because that view affected everything else. There were those who doubted and dismissed and distorted the notion of resurrection. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to them to correct a whole rack of things. But here in chapter 15, he devotes an entire argument to helping them set straight their beliefs about the resurrection. And so for us this morning, here's what the Apostle Paul's words, here's what God's word through the Apostle Paul does for us. Beliefs challenge our expectations of resurrection. It's going to challenge our beliefs. It's going to challenge our expectations. It's going to challenge us. And what we are going to see is that our view of the resurrection, about Christ's resurrection and even the possibility for our own, far too small, far too human, and far too limited. But on the flip side of that, there is great news for us this morning. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. And so my title of my message this morning is this, Extreme Makeover, Resurrection Edition. And the main idea for us from this passage is, through Christ's resurrection, our bodies will be raised with heavenly glory. Through Christ's resurrection, our bodies will be raised with heavenly glory. Well, as we jump into this passage, it appears that there is such thing as a bad and stupid question. And so prior to verse 35, the Apostle Paul has spent time addressing one of the significant consequences if the Corinthians are right and there is no resurrection, then Paul says, hey, if there's no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. And you know what that means? Your faith is in vain. Like we should all just pack it up and go home. This isn't worth it. We shouldn't suffer and live for Christ. Rather, we should just eat and drink and die because all there is is to live and to die. If there's no resurrection, then get all you can, enjoy all you can because after that, it's just a dirt nap. And so Paul kind of hits hard, punches hard, and then he sort of recognizes that's probably going to land well, but then he anticipates an objection. Okay, Paul, you say that there is a resurrection, but how are the dead raised? How does that happen? What kind of body do they have? Paul's response, you fool. Like, I'll be honest, as when I was teaching high school, 
Man, I wish I could have responded to so many students like this. Like, you know, especially right after I'd explained something and inevitably the hand goes up, Mr. Hemmelman, and then they ask, like, about the thing I just said. I just went, like, you fool. But, you know, as every teacher will tell you, no such thing as a dumb question. Well, apparently this was a dumb question. So what was going on? Is this not a good question to ask? I mean, if there is a resurrection, how, would, how does this happen? What, what happens to our body? By what means does this take place? So the problem actually isn't the question. The problem is the tone in with which it is asked. You see, Paul was in a dialogue, a combative dialogue back and forth with the Corinthians about resurrection. He was confronting some things. And so the question came to him almost in this cynical, sarcastic manner because within the Roman and Greek culture of the time, They did not believe that the resurrection was a thing. In fact, they believed that bodily resurrection was something that should be laughed at. The whole idea that our bodies and their frailty and their brokenness would live on through eternity was laughable. Like like they believed that what mattered most was the spiritual. And at some point we get to actually chuck this physical body off and live in the ideal of the spiritual world. Who would want to hang on to a body that is full of death and disease and decay? And so when the Apostle Paul came around preaching about a resurrection, he often got laughed at. Like, are you talking about a body full of disease and decay, like kind of like a zombie? You're saying that's how we're going to live eternity? Okay, have fun with that. And so they mocked it. They questioned it. You say there's a resurrection, Paul. Well, tell us how that's going to happen. And so in that cynicism, in that ignorance, the Apostle Paul confronts it. He says, you're missing something very, very important. But let's just kind of park here for a second. In our culture, we struggle with the same thing. Like in many ways, the same objection to the resurrection that the Romans and the Greeks had are the same objections that we have today. I mean, are we not told over and over and over again, trust the science, listen to science. What does science tell you? people don't come back from the dead. Like, people aren't resurrected. Yeah, maybe someone, like, codes out on an operating table for, you know, like, a couple minutes, and you're able to resurrect them back, so so to speak, but that's not dead dead. Like, if you're dead dead, there's no coming back from that. And so, our culture tells us that there is no resurrection. It, It sets an expectation about what resurrection is, an expectation that is far too small, too human, and too limited. And here's what else. When you see images of resurrection in our culture, what do they tend to look like? Like, what's the most popular view, a popular sort of image of resurrection in our culture? Anybody have a guess? Zombies, yes. Zombies. Grotesque, rotting, decaying corpses that have come back to life and all they do is walk around trying to consume your brain. It's not a pretty picture. Like, I, I did some, some searching for um, images of resurrection in, like, movies, TV shows, and the best, most optimistic view uh, that I found was this show from 2015 called The Returned. And in that, the people who came back to life weren't zombies, but they completely upset this small town And so it was viewed as something unnatural, something that shouldn't be happening, actually a problem. So our culture doesn't present resurrection as anything good, but something scary, horrifying, something unnatural, something that we shouldn't desire. But where does that leave us? 
Here's where it leaves us. It leaves all of our efforts at transformation and resurrection and renewal as an attempt to avoid death. Like, we spend all of our time, all of our energy, all of our self-help, all of our science and technology trying to run away from death. Because once death has us, once we're dead, dead, there's no coming back from that. And so all we have in our popular imagination is this notion of, hey, I can become a better me as I do my best to try to avoid death. That's, that's the limitation we put on resurrection. Far too small, far too human, far too limited. And here is the consequence of that. And let me also say this. This affects us, church. Like, if you believe in Christ, you follow Christ, this affects us. How do I know? Try to conceptualize eternity and as a physical reality. Like, I think we can do it if we sort of think of heaven and eternity as a spiritual reality. You know, all the pictures of, like, floating on the clouds and, you know, we're kind of up there with Jesus in the spiritual world. But what the Bible teaches is that eternity is going to be physical, a renewed, completely renewed and transformed physical reality. We struggle to understand that. We struggle to even conceptualize that. That might have even been the first time you've ever heard someone tell you that eternity is going to be a physical reality. So church, this affects us too. But listen, how this impacts us in our lives is that we become very muted and have very low expectations about resurrection and renewal. And what that does is it causes us to view suffering and pain and hardship and illness and disease and death as things that we will try to avoid at all costs because they're the ultimate threat. And so what ends up happening is we give all of our time, our money, our resources, everything that we are to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. Because pain is so great and pain is such a threat, we will do everything that we can to numb it, to avoid it. If we think that our bodies are all that are, if this is all that we get to experience, well then let me get all the pleasure that I can get. Let me do all that I can do in order to experience all the pleasure and avoid all the pain because once death gets me, it gets me. Or we try to control our lives to the nth degree. Don't want to experience pain, don't want to experience illness, don't want to experience sickness, so I'm going to control my life to the nth degree. And so we swing back and forth, chasing after pleasure, being consumers, or trying to control our lives to the nth degree. Where do you fall? Like, where do you fall? Are, are you a pleasure-chasing consumer? A control freak who's fearful? Somewhere in between? What are the ways that you're trying to manage death because you fear it, because you believe once it's got you, that's all there is? Has not the past two years shown us that this is true of us? I'm not judging anybody's reaction to a pandemic, but I think there have been some realities that have been exposed in the way that we view death and how we view hardship and suffering and pain especially if we have a too small, too human, and too limited view of the resurrection. And so the Apostle Paul is going to confront this. God's word is going to confront this for us. And he does this by drawing out two examples from the natural world. Really interesting that Paul is going to say, hey, look at the natural world to prove the supernatural. 
Fascinating how God made the world. This is what he writes in verses 36 through 38. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. So Paul is essentially saying, you cynically ask, how can death bring forth life? How could a body that is decaying and dying turn into life? He's like, well, consider something really simple, a seed. Like, like there's something very simple from agriculture, a seed. What happens when you put a seed in the ground? That outer husk dies, and what comes forth from it? A plant, a tree, life. And not just life in sort of a general sense, but an abundance of life, something far greater, something far bigger than that tiny little seed. And look, can you imagine if a farmer looked at a seed of corn or of wheat or of some other fruit or vegetable and goes, no way. No way there is life in this thing. There's no way when this thing dies, life is coming. And so he just throws it cynically aside and discards it. Well, I mean, what would happen? Well, one, he'd be a terrible farmer. But two, he would miss out on an abundant harvest. He would miss out on life and blessing because his imagination was too small, too human, and too limited. And so Paul highlights this physical reality to say, hey, in the resurrection, through death to life, there, we do have pictures of this in our natural world. Secondly, he points to the fact that there are different bodies. There's a diversity of flesh found in creation. As he writes in verses 39 through 41, not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is different from that of the earthly ones. There's a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another in splendor. Corinthians, First City Church, American Christians, you lack the imagination to consider how there could be something beyond just this body of death and decay. Do, do you struggle to understand how life could come from death? Well, just look around you. Look around at the different kinds of bodies, the different kinds of animals, the different stars and planets. Look at the physical world and all its beautiful diversity. Do you not think that the God who made all that diversity could handle a resurrection body. The God who's responsible for all matter that we know and all its complexity and all its beauty. I mean, we just contemplate the sun and that God made that glorious star and actually our sun pales in comparison to other stars in the galaxy. Like if you just contemplate that, the God who can make that, do you think that that God cannot handle a resurrection body? Paul, this is why Paul says, hey, you guys are foolish you're missing out on truths that are right in front of your face about how God works and operates. Friends, how have we allowed our culture to dull us and numb us and make our expectations too small, too human, and too limited? Friends, we do not need to live at the mercy of these beliefs because through Christ's resurrection, our bodies will be raised with heavenly glory. As Paul writes about our bodies in verses 42 through 44, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised 
a spiritual body. Friends, get this. The body that you now inhabit, one day, unless Christ returns as we'll see next week, one day that body will be put into the ground. It will be sown into the ground. And when that body goes into the ground, guess what? It is a body of corruption. Like we walk around in bodies of corruption now. We're, we are dying and we will die. We carry sickness and disease. Not only that, we're corrupted by sin. There, there is a moral corruption in our bodies that we carry around. And when we're buried in the grave, that body of corruption will be put into the grave. But guess what? Through Christ, if you are in Christ, what comes out of the grave, what gets resurrected, is not corruption, but incorruption. Incorruptible, meaning no more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more sin. And, and, and don't miss this. Not just that those things aren't in your body anymore, those things can't even touch that body anymore. It's not that you haven't just been, you've been set free from those things, but now those things have zero power and will ever, never, ever, ever have power. And friends, the bodies that will one day die and be buried in the ground, are those not bodies full of shame? Do we not carry the scars of how we have been sinned against? So some of you, you know that pain all too well, that burden all too well, and sometimes you just wish you could escape your body. But not only that, we have been also been guilty of shaming others. Like we are guilty of shaming and sinning against other people. And when our bodies get put into the ground, we carry all of that shame, that, that body. We need to be honest about the body going to the ground. Shame. But what comes out of the grave? Not a body of shame, but, but a body of glory. Not a, not a body of dishonor but a body of glory. Friends, things that are glorious are honorable, virtuous, worthy. The things that have weight and meaning and beauty to them. The body that's coming up out of the ground is not a body of dishonor, dishonor and shame, but of glory. A body that has been wiped clean of every ounce of shame and has been made such that shame can no longer even touch it. That's the body that we're going to have when we are resurrected. The body that goes into the ground is a body of weakness. Look, this isn't hard to see. Uh, like, we are weak, we are limited, even the best of us. We fail. Our best laid plans don't come together. And then many of us, we walk around with a limp, so to speak. Our bodies are weak and frail. But the good news is that that body that gets put into the ground so weak will come out in power come out when, and it will not fail. It will not be limited. It will not be weak, but there will be a power that you have to live life for the fullest for all eternity. I mean, this is a beautiful truth. Just think about this for like 30 seconds. Like when you're resurrected from the grave, do you realize that that's not the end, but that's just the beginning of new life? Like I think we can often think, well, when resurrection happens, that's an awesome thing, and that's sort of like the completion of it, and, and there we are, we've arrived. And it's like, no, that's the start. That's the start of a whole new life of eternity where you're going to live in power and glory and victory. It is a beautiful reality to say our bodies will be resurrected in power. Our bodies, which go into the ground natural, will come out spiritual. Well, what does this mean? Well, this, what this does not mean is that it will be immaterial. Rather, 
This means, as what does 1 Corinthians tell us? The spiritual is everything that has been transformed and claimed by and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are going to come out of the grave so transformed by the Holy Spirit that we can no longer be called natural bodies, but spiritual bodies, Holy Spirit bodies. That's the level of glory and power and incorruption that we are going to have, Holy Spirit-transformed bodies. Praise God. Praise God. So friends, is this your hope? Is this your hope? Like, do you believe that your body, that corrupt, shameful, weak body, will go into the ground, but it will come out incorruptible, glorious, powerful? No no matter the sickness, the disease, the corruption, the shame, the weakness that you carry now, if you are in Christ, do you believe that that death, that sin, cannot touch you. Ultimately, it cannot touch you because what's coming up out of the grave is far more powerful than any sin, any corruption, any shame, any weakness. Do you have this hope? Well, understand that this hope only comes through being united to Christ. This is not something we can do on our own. This is not a miracle of science and technology. This is not something that we earn from God. It is only by putting our faith and our trust in the resurrection of Christ. This is what Paul's point is in verses 44 through 49. Through our union with Christ, Christ's resurrection becomes our resurrection. As Paul writes, if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was born from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so in these verses, Paul does this amazing sweep through the entirety of the Bible. And so he takes us all the way back to Genesis 2 and points out that God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and he breathed life into him and he became a living being. And Adam was made sinless. But even as a sinless man, Adam was still part of the natural world, still limited. He was still part of this age. And understand that this age and this natural world that Adam was a part of, this Eden, was never intended to be the be-all and end-all. Do you understand that? Eden was not the highlight of history. That is not the end, and and we kind of messed it up, and now we got to go back there. No, Eden was never intended to be the be-all and end-all. How do we know this? Because consider, in Eden, Adam was created perfect, but sin and death and decay still could enter into creation. Still could have happened, whereas one day they will never be able to touch it. And so Eden was this beautiful starting point, but it was never the end. And this is Paul's point here. He's condensing all of this biblical history down to a few sentences. But here's what happened. 
So Adam, if he would have followed God, if he would have perfectly obeyed God's commands, he would have ushered himself and all of humanity into that final age, into that age where sin and death and corruption could have never touched the world, never touched the universe. But that's not what happened. The first Adam failed, failed terribly, sinned, He rebelled against God, and in that, he plunged the rest of humanity and all of creation into sin and decay and disease. You see, the first Adam chose the glory of self over the glory of God. The first Adam chose to chase after his own desires, to be his own God rather than serving the one true living God. See, Adam wanted power and control more than he wanted to serve and live under the good kingship of God. And because Adam was the first man, we have now all been born into Adam. We all bear the image of the man of dust, meaning we are all born with sin and corruption, death and disease and decay. And it's not something that we just sort of accidentally stumble into. It's not something that we sort of are like, oh man, how did this happen? No, it's something that we choose It's something that is natural to us. We are naturally born rebellious, naturally born enemies of God. We want to be our own gods. We want to be the king. We want to decide what we want to do when we want to do it. And no God is going to tell us otherwise. We bear the image of the man of dust, rebellious, sinful, and ultimately doomed to decay and death. But, but, where the first Adam failed, the last Adam did not. Where the first Adam rebelled against God, the second Adam obeyed perfectly. Where the first Adam saw self and grabbing after all that he could get, the last Adam said, no, let me lay down my life and serve. Let me love. And so the last Adam, Jesus Christ, stepped into this world, this sin-cursed, broken world for you and for me. And what did he do? He lived the perfect life that you and I never could. He perfectly kept God's law. Why did he do that? So that his righteousness could be given to you. He loved his father perfectly. He served perfectly. He was obedient in all things with his body and with his heart in love so that his righteousness could be given to you. But he doesn't just do that. He willingly lays down his life. God the Father in love sends the Son. The Son willingly comes to die for our sin, to be the perfect and complete punishment, atonement, payment for our sin. On the cross, Jesus took every evil, every shame, every lie, every lust, every sin that you have ever committed and ever has been committed against you. He took on himself and he allowed evil to strike him down. But as we celebrate today. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. Jesus was resurrected in glory and power. And as Paul says in verse 45, he became a life-giving spirit. What does that mean? It means that in his resurrection, the spirit did for Christ what he's going to do for us. The spirit so transformed Jesus's body He so completely and utterly, totally transformed Jesus' body that the Spirit made it incorruptible, glorious, and in power. Never again to be touched by sin and death. Never again to be touched by corruption and disease. Never again to be harmed. No, Jesus rose in complete and total victory. And in Christ, 
you and I can do the same. If you are in Christ, the resurrection of Christ can be your resurrection. The power of Christ's resurrection can be the power of your resurrection. The incorruptible glory and power that Christ experienced, you can experience. You see, friends, our view of resurrection is far too small, far too human, and far too limited. But if we take our eyes off our culture, take our eyes off our world, take our eyes off our own selves, and behold Christ, we see what's possible. We see what the Spirit of God has done and can do. And if you behold what Christ is, what has happened to Christ, you will see your future. You will see the body that you will have if you are in Christ. And so friends, this morning, if you've never put your trust in Christ, if you've never put your faith in the one who laid down his life to save sinners, if you've never turned from your sin and from self and turned to Christ in faith, well, this morning, Jesus invites you. Turn from too small, too human, and too limited views of self and of resurrection. Stop looking inward to see what is possible and look upward. Stop being limited by just your own efforts and your own attempts to recreate and renew yourself, which is so often just selfish and prideful. Look, here's the little thing that they don't tell you about during Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Like, they make this brand new awesome house, but what happens six months later? Stuff starts breaking, like things wear out, they wear down, that house is eventually going to fall apart. And look, also, the, the, the power of that resurrection and that renewal is only as great as the designer's mind, a limited human mind. And so look, all of our attempts to, to, to try to renew and recreate ourselves are so limited. They're so limited. And every single one of them are going to fail. Every single one of them are going to fall short. And every single one of them, if they're done apart from Christ, are selfish. And you know what happens when we are motivated by selfishness? We wreck and ruin ourselves and others. And so in your project, in order to try to become a better version of you, you can do damage to everyone around you. Chances are you are if that's where you're living right now. And so friends, drop the limited, self-centered attempts at resurrection and renewal and come to Christ. Come to the one who will completely and utterly forgive you, welcome you into the family of God, love you and embrace you, set you free from sin, and make you into an image far greater than anything you could ever do, his own. Yes, you bear the image of the man of dust, but far greater, you can bear the image of the man of heaven. And through faith in Jesus Christ, through the power of his resurrection, you can experience your own resurrection, that one day your body will go into the ground, corruptible, shameful, and weak, and come out incorruptible, glorious, and powerful. And in conclusion, for those of you that are in Christ, let me just encourage you with this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you right now. Like, resurrection isn't just about future. As glorious as that's going to be, it's not just about future. That resurrection power lives in you now. And so in the midst of the suffering and the pain and the hurts, the disappointments, the struggles with sin, all of the things that can feel so heavy in this life. The hope of resurrection one day lives in you right now. And that power is at work in you right now, transforming you and changing, changing you. You've been set free from sin. 
Nothing in your life will ever take away what God has done for you and is doing in you. You have a sure and eternal hope. Live in the good of that hope right now. Drink deeply of that hope daily. Drink deeply of the grace of God and the love of God for you. Don't let a day go by where the resurrection isn't the loudest voice, the brightest light, and the most glorious song in your heart. Friends, I know it gets hard. I know it gets difficult. I know it is painful. Some days it just feels too much, and resurrection feels like something just so far down the road. In those moments, take hold of what is true. The resurrection of power in Christ lives in you right now. Rest in that. Live in the good of that. Take hold of that. Allow his love and his grace to grab your heart and transform your heart. And let us, church, walk in the righteousness that comes when we put our hope in the truth that Jesus is coming back to renew and restore all things and resurrect our bodies. Amen.